Welcome everybody from all around the world. Welcome to this podcast, Escaping the Entanglements of Our Lives. You got yours, and I've got mine. I'm your host. I'm Dolphus Q. I'm the originator and the creator of this podcast. Now, our lives, yours and mine, are easily entangled with things both real and imaginary. Some of these things are malign, and some of these things are malignant and will lead us straight to self-destruction. And some of these things are necessary. Some of these things, some of these entanglements, we cannot exist comfortably without. And some of these things are, traps us, entangle us, hinders us, does all types of negative things to us. But I maintain that whatever the entanglement, that escape is possible. Yes, we can escape the entanglements of our lives. This podcast is my attempt, my method of escaping one of the major entanglements of my life. And (laughs) the good news is it is absolutely working from my perspective. Now, if you're following me, you know what I'm doing. I'm reading and writing my book at the same time to overcome one of those fears, one of those fears that has uh, entangled me. But I would love to hear about how other people are dealing with their entanglements. I think the most simplest thing that we can do is to just go sit on a tree. Do like Buddha on this yum yum tree. We take some time for ourselves. We maintain our sanity. We do it regularly. And the next thing you know, we are absolutely free. (laughs) But as the walrus said, the time has come. Yes, the time has come for the reading of the word. Episode 20, chapter 20, Memphis in the morning. Are we headed back to the crib? Jimmy sounded anxious, but no longer felt the need to glance back over his shoulder. Only for a minute. Willie James said quickly, I don't know the story Timbo would tell, but the police will be led straight to police quarters once Lee Hart is identified. I just want to grab a few things and hightail it to Memphis. Willie James parked the car in front of the house. He slammed the door, then hurried up the steps to the porch, which squeaked under their feet. He knocked rapidly. Jimmy stood nervously behind him. Willie James knocked on the door again, harder and louder. Finally, Billy James appeared and unlatched the screen door. Willie James stepped past her. He carried two brown grocery bags in his arms. 
Betty Jean screamed when she saw the blood on the front of Jimmy's shirt. Jimmy, oh my God, you've been shot. No, he hasn't been shot. Billy Jean stopped and leaned in towards Billy Jean with his eyes narrowed and his voice lowered to a warning. I would forget about that shirt if and I was you. Fact from here forward, I would know nothing. Billie Jean placed her hand over her mouth, her eyes scratched. She nodded her head. Don't worry, I'm fine, Jimmy said. That's all you need to know. Jimmy hurried to the bedroom after Willie James. Willie James had dumped the contents of the grocery bag onto the bed. He stood over the bed and gazed down at the bags like each contained the answer to all his dreams. Jimmy glanced at the pile of bags gathered in the middle of the bed and thought of Leon, of how his eyes had shined when they had seen those bags stuffed into the freezer and of how he had shouted he had scrack it rich. Jimmy heard Willie James saying that this was a pretty good lick, one that would make them rich. But to Jimmy, his words were not really registering. They floated through his ears, but without striking any meaningful chords. Then he heard Willie James saying that he should shed that bloody shirt. Jimmy complied like a robot. When Willie James stuffed the bags into the pillowcase, then he rummaged through the dresser drawers like he was looking for something. Jimmy found one of Frankie's shirts. Willie James hurriedly looked around the room and said, Don't halt. Let's roll. Billie Jean sat next to the arm of the sofa. She sobbed to herself with her head down when Willie James and Jimmy rushed into the living room. Willie James stopped in his rush and stared down at her. Remember, Billie Jean, you know nothing. Even if Josephine wants to know, you know nothing. Jimmy lingered at the sofa. Billie Jean's eyes looked up at his. Their eyes locked like the opposite poles of magnets. Jimmy couldn't look away. He took a deep breath and surrendered to a spot on the sofa next to her. Well, I guess this is goodbye. Billie Jean grabbed Jimmy in her arms. She held him tightly. Tears flooded her eyes and trickled down her cheeks. No, no, please, please, don't leave. I love you, Jimmy. Please don't go. I don't want to go, said Jimmy in a tormented tone, but I simply can't stay. So I'll never see you again, cried Billie Jean. I'll never see you again. Their lips locked as their eyes had locked like opposite poles of magnets. Their kiss aroused intimate passions that stirred inside both of them. Outside, Willie James blew the horn impatiently. The sudden intrusion interrupted the kiss and left them both face to face. Their nose nearly 
touched as their eyes stared into each other's eyes for perhaps the last time. Tears trickled down both their cheeks. Willie James blew the horn again, but with an impatient urgency. The in I'll never forget you, Jimmy uttered as he dashed towards the screen door. The engine roared like an angry lion the moment Jimmy slammed the door. Jimmy wiped his tears with the back of his hand. Willie James glanced over at him like he wanted to offer encouraging words. Don't. We can be in Memphis in the morning. And once I hook up with Jesse, these three pounds, man, we're going to be rolling in the deep in a matter of weeks. If you wanted to, you could send Billie Jean a bus ticket to Memphis. I got a feeling that she would be delighted to come. Jimmy suddenly felt exposed like the truth had come to light. He started to blurt out that they were in love, but bit his tongue and smiled at the thought of seeing Billie Jean in Memphis in a matter of weeks. Hey, Bo, said Willie James as he drove like he was deep in thought. You reckon you could drive this car if I got sleepy? Jimmy understood the basics when it came to driving. He could steer straight. He could make the turns, slow down, and come to a complete stop. However, his driving experience behind a steering wheel was limited to Joe Grimes' work truck. Jimmy had loaded and unloaded that truck many times and had driven it a few feet on the street under the watchful eyes of Joe Grimes who declared Jimmy incapable of shifting gears and of teetering on the tip of scripping all the gears in the transmission. That's a new transmission. Boy, you scrape those gears one more time, I'm going to scrape your natural ass. <laughs> I'm sure I can, said Jimmy after a delay. But I must tell you, I'm not good at shifting the gears. I can show you about those gears in a matter of minutes. Jimmy rested the back of his head against the back of his seat. His tears had dried. He closed his eyes. Jimmy felt the bumps and the irregularities of the rugged road beneath the tires of the Crown Victoria as Willie James hurriedly drove out of Potus Quarters. Everything seemed surreal to Jimmy, from the incident in the men's room at the bus station to the accidental shooting of Cheetah, the death of Leart, the painful separation from Billie Jean, and now this sudden flight to Memphis with three pounds of Gainesville Green. It seemed unbelievable that between Tuesday morning and Friday afternoon, he had morphed into a cold-blooded killer, a broken-hearted lover, and a fugitive on the run. 
The Crown Victoria hurried towards 13th Street, like it sought to maintain its steps ahead of the law. I figure we'll take 444 to Alachaway and get on Interstate 75. It will take us to Knoxville, and from there, we'll head west to Memphis. 13th Street curved and merged with State Road 441. Soon the scenery became rural and all signs of metropolitan life vanished into tall pine trees or stretches of planted fields on both sides of State Road 441. 441 supported four lanes of traffic, two lanes headed north and two lanes headed south. The pair of lanes were separated by islands of grass, clumps of vegetations, and cluster of pine trees. Willie James pointed out that those were perfect hiding places for speed traps. Highway patrol officers were known to hide among those clumps and clusters to catch speeding drivers. I'd hate to get caught by a speed trap, Willie James said. Jimmy agreed and added that so far their luck had held out, and then he became reflective as he looked at the trees. I wonder if Leon has been identified yet. If he ain't, he soon will be, Willie James said, then added. I wonder who that guy was I shot who shot Leon. I cannot say, said Jimmy. I only saw that big barrel aimed at me. Willie James laughed. Ahead, Willie James, ahead, Jimmy saw two signs posted at the side of the highway. One sign warned drivers to reduce their speed and merge into a single lane of traffic. And the other sign signified the entrance into Alachua. Jimmy noticed a quaint village beyond the sign. Rows of Victorian-style houses and storefront buildings stood on both sides of the street. A collection of structures looked like survivors from a bygone era that existed before Jimmy was born. Each structure looked as if it was erected before the construction of State Road 441. A few of the grand houses had porches, and on a few of the porches, people sat in rocking chairs and waved at the traffic as it drove past. After the Crown Victoria had driven past the quaint village, and before the single lane of traffic morphed back into the four lanes of 441, Willie James unexpectedly turned off the street and onto a wide dirt road. Willie James drove the crowd victorious slowly. The dirt road looked like it had been cut in the middle of a heavy wooded area that went on forever. Jimmy wondered where 
was Willie James headed, but bit his tongue when it came to inquiry. Instead, he asked Willie James whether or not people lived in these woods. Willie James assured Jimmy that people had houses hidden throughout those woods, but that one had to know where to look. Then Willie James steered the Crown Victoria to the side of the wide dirt road and switched off the engine. You know, Doc, it struck me back there that this dirt road is a perfect place for me to teach you those gears. Jimmy slid across the seat and under the steering wheel of the Crown Victoria. Jimmy was nervous. His palms were sweaty. Jimmy had sat behind the stern wheel of Joe Grimes' work truck many times. He had backed it up or driven it forward under the cruel, watchful eyes of Joe Grimes, who did not hesitate to scream out as obscenities each time Jimmy shifted into an inappropriate gear. But this was the first time he had ever sat behind the stern wheel of a car. And the first time he had set far away from the eyes of Joe Grimes. Switch on the ignition, Willie James said. <clears throat> Don't. The gears almost changed themselves in this car. The only challenge is to hold her straight on the road. You shift the gears like you did in the truck, only the shift stick is up here on the stirring column and not down on the floor like you find in some trucks. Willie James explained the shifting of gears as a matter of coordination between your hand and feet. He pointed out the clutch paddle, the brake paddle, and the accelerator paddle. He showed Jimmy how to locate neutral on the column and how his foot had to press down hard on the clutch, clutch paddle to enable a shift of the gears. He taught mm -hmm. Jimmy to visualize a capital H as, he, as the shift pattern with the dash between the two lines as neutral and with the bottom lines as first gear and reverse and the top lines as second and third gears. He taught Jimmy how to pull up and push down on the stiff the shift stick with his fingertips. He reminded Jimmy to always ease his foot up from the clutch pedal and to always engage the clutch before shifting gears, but to always be ready to snatch a foot off a paddle or slam a paddle to the floor. Jimmy absorbed this information slowly and went through the motions with his hands and feet. Finally, Willie James pointed ahead and told Jimmy, to drive to get the feel of the car. Jimmy followed the dirt road as it continued to some unknown destination 
many miles away. Jimmy was surprised that he could drive. Jimmy was quick to notice how least the amount of pressure on the accelerator paddle was required to increase the speed of the car forward. Willie James finally had Jimmy to stop, back up, and make a three-point U-turn in the middle of the dirt road. I think you got it, Willie James said. Let's head back. It's getting late. The sun had disappeared and daylight was beginning to fade as Jimmy neared the street where Willie James had turned off. Jimmy looked curiously at the gauges on the dashboard. Willie James pointed out the switch to turn on all the lights. The instrument panel lit up and the first thing Jimmy noticed was the gas needle sitting on E. Do we have gas to make it to a station? Willie James had a gallon can in the trunk, but hadn't filled it. His suggestion was to head to the nearest filling station. Jimmy was surprised how smooth everything went. He stopped at a service station to fill up the tank. The station was near the entrance to near the entrance ramp to I-75. Jimmy told the attendant to fill the tank and asked if there was a restroom available. When he got out the car, he thought of the one-gallon can for gasoline in the trunk. It occurred to him that it wouldn't hurt to fill it up, just in case. Jimmy unlocked the trunk. He saw the pillowcase stuffed with the plastic freezer bags, the red gasoline can, and the stock of a rifle. But upon a closer inspection, the stock belonged to Sally Mae, the sawed-off double-barrel shotgun. Jimmy slammed the trunk with the can in his hand and hurried to the restroom. When Jimmy returned the red can to the trunk and slammed it shut, Willie James had scratched out on the back seat and was asleep. The attendant told Jimmy that the oil had been low, one of the taillights were out, and that the fuel pump was leaking. The attendant had added the oil, but didn't have a bulb for the taillight. He assured Jimmy if he bought the car back when the mechanic was on duty in the morning, he could fix the fuel pump leak. Jimmy wanted to know what would happen if he didn't fix the leak right now. Well, for starters, the attendant said, you ain't going to get good mileage out of a full tank of gas. You're going to waste gas on the highway, half as much as the engine consumes. Then you must remember Gasoline is flammable. Jimmy was alarmed and indecisive. Should he heed the warning and wait until morning? Should he wake Willie James? He could hear Willie James as he snored peacefully 
on the back seat. Jimmy decided the important thing to Willie James was to be in Memphis in the morning. Well, Jimmy started slowly. I appreciate your advice, but I can't wait until morning. The attendant nodded like a salesman who had lost the sale. Well, in that case, kid, my advice is to stick to the speed limit. And when you get to a service station with a mechanic on duty, get him to fix that leaky fuel pump. Because it is likely to get worse than better the longer you drive. Jimmy thanked the attendant. He paid him and told him to keep the change, three $1 bills and some coins. The attendant thanked Jimmy and wished him good luck. The last two words, good luck, made Jimmy feel a little less apprehensive as he headed towards the entrance ramp to I-75. And thus, we have come to the end of our episode for this week. I encourage, I ask everybody all around the world to join us again next week at this time for another reading of the word from the in, from <laughs> escaping the entanglements of our lives. So long, everybody.